I don't know if uh, when you were a kid, if you grew up in a neighborhood like I did. Ron, you probably didn't. You probably grew up in Zimbabwe or Zambia or somewhere, not the same neighborhood as mine. When I, when I grew up, um, it was fairly tight in our neighborhood in terms of the community. Like I knew virtually every family on the street. Uh, I can remember the Schultzes, and I can remember the Richies, and I can remember the Lillies, and I can remember the Steiners and the Tazies, and I can remember the Howards. But the lady that I remember best was the lady who lived on our right, and her name was Mrs. Lair, but we very disrespectfully referred to her as Buzzard Beak. Now, you might think to yourself, that's horrible, and it was. It was terrible, but we referred to her that way because she was the one lady in the neighborhood who really didn't want to be part of our community. And so when we kicked the football over the fence, she would run out and grab it and keep it. And if the baseball went over the fence, she would run out and she would keep the baseball. Well, footballs and baseballs were expensive back then. And so we didn't like Mrs. Lair very much. She was kind of mean to us because she didn't participate in the sense of community. Like I thought that we were all one big happy family. And if I kicked the football into Mrs. Lair's yard, I would have thought that Mrs. Lair would have been thrilled that I wasn't out painting graffiti on the side of her house or something. You'd think that she would have thought to herself, this is just a kid in the neighborhood and uh, he's having fun with his friends and he's growing and someday he's going to be a young man in our neighborhood and so we need to be community together. But she wasn't quite that way. Well, my sense is that community is still something that we need to hold on to. But if I ask you whether or not you know the Schultzes and the Lillies and the Howards and the Steiners and the Tazies and Mrs. Lair on your street, my guess is you don't. Is, like, is there anybody here who can name, of course, I'll get myself in trouble because you'll all raise your hands, but uh, is there anybody here who can name five of the neighbors that live close around you? Okay, some of you can. Okay, I see a few hands and I think that's great. But the majority of you don't have your hands up. And you know what? Robin's hand is down too. She can't do it. Now, I know about three of them, but I don't know five for sure. And so there is a sense in which I think we have lost something because I know when I was a kid I could do that. And my guess is that most of you, when you were growing up in your situations, you probably could do it too. Something is gone. Something has gone missing. Now, I don't know if it's the same thing in the church, but sometimes I think it is. Sometimes I think there's not as much community, a sense of knowing one another as we should. Sometimes I don't know if we sense the same camaraderie, the sense of family and unity that we need to feel. And it makes sense. Like as you get to be a larger church, you're not going to sense that in the same way. That's one of the main reasons that there are people running around in brown vests today trying to say, let's have small groups so that we can get to know each other a lot better and build the kind of community that we need to build. And so if, if you're not feeling that sense of community, it may be because you're not involved in a small group. And if you were, it might well add to that sense of community. 
Well, we need to focus on, build up that sense of community among us. And we need to do it this morning, to my mind, in one specific way. And that's what we're going to address now. Families and the church. Family unity with respect to our shared faith is assumed by Scripture. If you were, We won't look at those passages right now, but if you were to look at those passages in the Bible this morning, you would find them saying something about the sense of family. The first passage has to do with husbands and wives and their love for one another. And it specifically says that a husband is supposed to love his wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for it. And so there's this sense in which what we are as Christians and who God is to us relates directly to our lives as families. And then this second passage is uh, one that talks about the Philippian jailer coming to Christ. and specifically says that he and all his household were baptized. Well, that's not surprising because family unity with respect to our shared faith fits the Jewish heritage of Christianity. And that's one of the things that they enjoyed. The Jewish family was tight-knit. And because it was tight-knit, they did things together, even to the point of, as Acts 16 says, becoming Christians together. And so if the head of the household in the Jewish household was going to become a Christian, he was going to, to give up, not give up his Jewish heritage, but to alter that in some way and become a Christian, this is what he did. He had his whole household do the same thing. And so the text specifically says that he and his whole household were baptized. And in this case, not only would that include those children who are coming to faith and able to believe in Christ, but it would even include slaves. And so if a person had slaves uh, in that society, they would be considered part of the household. There was just this sense of community that we sometimes have lost. Well, we recognize that there's a huge clash between this biblical Jewish-like historical practice of faith-filled family unity and today's society in which individual freedom and independence is a dominant theme. So often, independence is the thing. And what do we want our children to do? Grow up and move out of the house and be independent and have their own lives. What's that line? Teenagers. Teenagers, hurry up, move out, get a job, start paying your own bills while you still know everything. Okay? Well, that's what we want. We also recognize the lack of faith-oriented encouragement our families will receive from society. Children are not encouraged to follow in the paths of their parents or their grandparents. And you know this as well as I do. It's just a fact. We don't have the same sense of heritage that we used to have. And we certainly aren't going to find society desiring to push our children in the same path that we've chosen in terms of Christianity. Oftentimes, the schools... And other adults, certainly in the media, say, go in a different direction. Leave those roots behind. You're free and independent. Make your own decisions. So, unity in the faith within our families can neither be assumed, expected, or anticipated. Okay? Unity in the family with respect to faithfulness is not to be assumed, expected, or anticipated. It's not just going to happen the way we thought it might once happen. Instead, family unity in the faith must be planned for with great intentionality. It has to be planned for. Your children are not just automatically going to become Christians. Now, the world is afraid that intentionality is the same thing as indoctrination. In fact, there's a sense in which they think intentionality is nothing more than mind control. We'll get our kids kids, and we'll control them. We'll take them off during youth assembly and we'll control them then and send them down the same road we're down 
and to control them. Well, there's a sense in which that's true. There's a sense in which we are helping to shape the minds of our young. But you know what? Somebody is going to do that. Somebody is going to shape the minds of our children. Someone, somewhere. It will end up being the television that shapes them, or it will be the next door neighbor, or it will be the teacher at school, or it will be the books that they read. Somebody is going to shape the minds of your children. I promise you. They're not just going to do this on their own free. And so it makes sense to me that a Christian group of people would say to themselves, we share together the value of being Christian. And we do, in fact, want to pass this down to our children, not in some kind of controlling way, not in some kind of way that zaps them of their their independence, but instead, which simply creates an environment in which they have the freedom to know Jesus. And they can make free choices about Christ. I think it makes sense that we would do this with some sense of intentionality. I'm going somewhere specific with this. A crucial element in creating family unity and in the faith pertains to a family's relationship to the church if they're part of a church family. And so that's where I'm headed today. I think that there's a sense in which we as church family need to recognize the need for us to be involved in church family, for us to recognize what it means to be church family together. But I want to take this in a different direction than simply calling for commitment to the church's ministries or involvement in the church's programs. I could stand here and kind of beat the drum and say, get involved, make sure you're always there. That's not the point. Do I want these things to happen? Actually, you'll find out at the end that we do want these things to happen. But the mindset is different than simply saying, be involved, get with it. Because the important perspective here has everything to do with discipleship. I think Christ wants us to be disciples. Discipleship is something on which our church has been focusing over the last 18 months or so. Two reasons why discipleship has been a focus. It's because we're called to make disciples. Discipleship happens when people come to Christ. They become Christians. When Christians grow from spiritual infancy to maturity, that's what discipleship is. Because many in our church, including our elders, wanted us as a church to be better at making disciples. And so for that reason, we have focused a lot, especially within the leadership, on the notion of being disciples and making discipleship a priority. Um, Issues we face, we don't really know where we're headed as a church has been something that we've heard in the past. Not so much now, but we used to hear that quite a bit. The finalization of the Journey Church plant left a void of vision and purpose, more than just some of our brothers and sisters was missing. And so we, we lost some people, but we lost more than that. There was a sense of specific focus that was missing. And so the consistent question, where do we go from here, kept coming up. And so inquiring minds wanted to know, where do we go from here? What's our plan? In response, over months, the elders and staff met, discussed, and studied, and prayed. Jack Ashby introduced a a book, a very good book, Simple Church, which outlines some of the necessity of a simple discipleship process. I am convinced that God led us to read Simple Church and to start thinking about discipleship. 
Um, it was just exactly what we needed at the right time, and the outcome was that the elders requested the staff to evaluate how we make disciples at the Calvary Church of Christ. And so the staff, we discussed this, sat down, went through it, and asked ourselves, how is it that we as a church are going about the task of making disciples? We began to discuss how we might do it better, and we prayed that we might do it a lot better. Two results. We think, number one, we're led by God to rediscover discipleship as a chief purpose for our existence as a church. And number two, we set about the task of thinking about how discipleship could best take place among us. Because that's an issue. How can discipleship best take place among us if we're convinced that discipleship needs to take place? Well, discipleship, becoming uh, disciples of Christ became kind of job one. We ask a lot of questions. What is discipleship? How should it best take place? How can we best make disciples? Where do we start? How do we best communicate the idea of discipleship to the rest of the church? How do we best communicate the process of discipleship to the rest of the church? How do we help the church to see the importance of discipleship? How do we encourage the church to want to be disciples? Whom should we disciple? What are the steps in the process of discipleship? Lots of issues involved in discipleship and how we can best do this as a church. We want the following for our church. And this is kind of a summary statement in terms of where things need to go. A discipleship mindset, a growth-oriented attitude, a desire to personally, spiritually grow. That's what we want for everybody. For everyone to be asking themselves the question about discipleship within their own lives. And so I hope you ask that question. I actually hope you ask it regularly. I hope you frequently say to yourself, how am I doing? What is my relationship with Christ like? Am I doing things that are helping me to grow? Am I moving forward, becoming the disciple that Christ wants me to be? Those are important questions. And so we want for all of us to think about where we are in the discipleship process and to ask the kind of questions that I just mentioned. What's your relationship to Christ like? And that means all kinds of things. Are you a new Christian? Are you a new believer? Are you a growing Christian? Are you a committed servant? Are you a spiritual infant? Where are you in the chronology of what it means for you to be a disciple of Jesus? And what is your relationship to the Calvary Church of Christ and its ministries? Are you occasional attendee? Are you interested but not connected, wanting to know more, connected but not committed? There's a range of things that we could be. What we want is for everyone to sense that they are disciples of Jesus growing in this place. We want people, in fact, to ask questions about where they are in the growth process. Has the gospel just been planted in your heart so that you're at a kind of hearing stage? Or have you become a Christian? So that you're a believing person in Jesus. Are you firmly rooted within the Christian community and relating to others in that way? Are you a growing disciple? Growing, taking opportunities of growth and seizing those opportunities when they come? Or is Jesus like servanthood? And I did everything I could to get that D up there. I wanted to move that D up next to the O. I just couldn't get it done. On one screen it was perfect. On another screen it wouldn't go. And on this one it just didn't go. But are you loving and serving the way that God wants you to be? And do you know how to spell the word servanthood? That's the question. Okay? We need to grow forward in Jesus and be the disciple that he wants us to be. We also want to embrace discipleship opportunities, growth opportunities and to grow and help others to be growing disciples of Jesus Christ. In fact, this last element is absolutely crucial. 
And this is where we start to take this turn back toward family and asking the question, what does God want us to be as disciples? Because we want to be disciples of Jesus who are about the task of helping others be disciples of Jesus. And for families, here's the point. We want to be disciples of Jesus who are about the task of helping others be disciples of Jesus, beginning with those in our immediate families. In other words, parents must think in terms of discipleship with respect to their children's relationships with Christ. Where are your children's lives headed? And is their discipleship in Christ for you a priority? Is this something for you that is important? And the word discipleship here entails some things. Like we're hoping for, wanting very much for children to become followers, true followers of Christ. Your family style then needs to be a disciple-making family. Are you discipling your children? Is that your goal? Is that where you're headed? In other words, we don't just want your children to go to church. That's easy. You can, you can spank them into that. You can force your children to go to church. You can ground them if they don't or whatever. But I'm not sure that that's the most nurturing, helpful, disciple-making kind of attitude. You can get them to participate in worship. You can make them sit there and be quiet or make them sit there and sing. You can get them to be baptized. Now, hopefully, that will be a decision that they make on their own out of commitment to Jesus. But it's not all that hard, really, to force kids to be baptized or to put them in a position where they make that decision. We want them to know Scripture. But I'm not sure that these four things, as good as they can be, are the essence of what it means to be discipling your kids. It's like what we talked about in class this morning with the checklist. I'm not sure that's a checklist that Paul gives us in 1 Timothy 3 regarding leadership. And I'm not sure that this is a checklist either. God wants a mindset to be created within our families, a mindset of discipleship, which is so much more than just ticking off a list of things that we can say, well, our kids go to church and they participate in worship and they were baptized, they know the Bible. Those are wonderful things. But I think standing behind them needs to be an attitude of discipleship where one is a follower and has a relationship with Christ. We want each member in each one of our families to be a fully devoted, growing disciple of Jesus, moving toward Christ-like servanthood as the goal. Great parenting, modeling, living out a sincere faith, being intentional are all part of the process of discipling our children. And it certainly is a process. We need to see this, again, as the lifestyle and process in which we're involved. The key principle in thinking about your family's relationship to the church is to establish discipleship as the essential ingredient in that relationship. I've used that word an awful lot, discipleship. I keep italicizing it. It's on the PowerPoint so many times because I think it is so much central and the key to where we're going here. We want within our families and within this family everyone to be true followers and disciples of Jesus. So I just keep making that point. Parents should be asking, how can I best place my children in a position to be effectively discipled? Now, this is where we get to the point 
where we start thinking about things like commitment level. Within this discipleship context, the questions of commitment level, involvement level, and the seizing opportunities for growth in the church should now be asked by parents who want their children to be disciples of Jesus. It's what the church is for. We are here together to help nurture and grow disciples. And so are we participating? Are we committed to that task together? Are we sharing it? Are we seizing the opportunities that are there? You need to ask yourself that question and and take full advantage of those opportunities. Now, here's my opinion. A desire for our children to be disciples should mean high commitment level, high involvement level, and the seizing of opportunities for growth in the church in those families belonging to our church family. That's what I'd like to see. Somebody said, what do you think? You know, do you want all the families to be there every Sunday morning? I do. Do I want all the families in our church family to be involved with class on Sunday morning? I do. Do I want all of you to be in small groups? I do. Do I want all of you to answer the call when a serving project is put forth and we have an opportunity to participate? I do. Why? Because I think for the majority of us, those things are absolutely crucial for us to fully share together in the process of discipleship. Now, is it possible that people can be discipled and not be involved in that way? Of course it is. There are people who find themselves totally isolated from church families, don't participate in them at all, maybe because of geographical reasons. They're located where there's no church of which they can even be part. They will then probably be community as a family or maybe even as just an individual. And so, of course, that kind of thing happens. But in our case, we're church family, and we want to participate together in life as family, helping discipleship to take place among us. This is the case because discipleship of anyone, including our children, happens best within community. The fact is we're in this together. Now, I I can't say we're in this together and we have to be. You have a choice. You could choose not to be. And you could say, I don't really care to be a part of this community. And that's your choice. But for those of us who choose to be part of this community, we are in this together. There's a sense in which we covenant together, make a choice together that we are going to be one, united in family in this process of of discipleship. And I think scripture bears it out. These passages were read already today, but let's look at them again. Ephesians 2, 21 through 22 and 4, 12 through 16. In him... The whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him you, and in the Greek there, the word you is plural. It's not singular, it's plural. You two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. And then the passage from Ephesians 4. To prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Notice the growth that is supposed to take place here and notice the community, the context in which that growth occurs. Christian growth for us is designed to take place within community. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men and their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. We are in this together. This sense of being community 
and discipling one another for the Lord and specifically discipling our children for Christ. You know, there are kids in my life that are not at all biologically related to me. And yet, sometimes I think I almost love them as much as I love my own. I hold them dear. And I got to tell you, those kids are within church community for me. I care for them and I love them and want to contribute to their discipleship. I want them to grow in the Lord. And we share this together, this call of being united together in the task of discipling people, specifically our children, for Jesus. And what I want more than anything this morning is for there to be an attitude created, a mindset where we say to ourselves, we are a community of disciples discipling together our children for Jesus. And so when Jody has the kids down in youth assembly like she does right now, they're not out of here just so that Kelly can speak in an environment of quiet and so the parents won't have to be troubled by their children nagging at them next to them while he's boring them to tears. It's because we want something to take place in their lives while they're here. We want them to understand that they're part of a community that says, we think it's so important and special for them to receive instruction at their level, that we take them out and have them instructed at their level so that they can hear about Jesus in a way that they can comprehend and understand. So we share this task together, and I think God wants us to have that mindset. Our families are families that are about the task of making disciples for Jesus, starting with our own children. Now that brings me to the fact that Mari is here this morning. Mari, stand up. I saw Mari come in. Go ahead, Wes. Stand up with Mari and make us proud. Very good. I love the fact that we have young children and families. I love the fact that we can even recognize them on Sunday morning. That kind of stuff is important. It's important that we recognize that she's here. It's important that we recognize her birth. And that we take account not just of the fact that Wes and Roberta are responsible for her life, but that in some sense all of us have responsibility for her life. We're in the process of discipling Mari even now. Now she won't remember this day. She's not going to remember that her daddy held her up. But her daddy will tell her the story. Her parents will tell her about the first day they ever brought her to church. And community will be established between that young lady and this body because they thought enough to bring her here and to have her part of who we are. We have the task and the responsibility of helping her know Jesus and it starts today. Let's pray. Lord, you have given us a huge responsibility. The task of taking young lives 
and making them disciples for you. Father, we do want them to be baptized. We do want them to to know and to understand all the teachings of Jesus and to to be obedient to the teachings of Christ. We want our children to learn the Bible. We want them to be involved in the life of the church and the activities of the church. We want them to be here to worship. We want them to be here for classes and to grow and to learn. And as they grow into teens, to be part of Ignite. We want them to be part of all, that whole process, God. But it's not just so that they can be part of these activities. It's because we believe that these things contribute to their discipleship in you and we've made that a priority and so father i pray for our families today especially those with young children that you would make it in their lives a priority to see their children discipled for you father somebody is going to teach them whether it's the television whether it's the guy down the street somebody is going to teach them father we want to teach them about you. Help us within our families and help us as a community of believers to make the discipling of our young people a priority. It's through Christ we pray. Amen.